brother. Have we started the fire? Yes. The fire rises. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you'd like to reach out, maybe you have thoughts, comments, suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can email us at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and we are back for another review. This time we're, we're, about, a, uh, we're about a month away from it, but I wanted to give people a time to uh, plenty of time to see the movie, and now we're going to talk about it, even though Part 2 just came out. We're talking about... Batman, The Long Halloween, Part 1. And I've got two guests here with me to talk about it today. First of all, uh, returning from the Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Batman Bad Blood episode, my buddy Matt Hewlin. Matt, how you doing, bud? Doing good, Eric. Uh, glad to be back on the show um, for a, a pretty big animated film um, review. So, super excited. It, yeah, yeah, it is. It is pretty big. I the, the long Halloween is iconic. So, uh, and I'm we're going to talk about you and the long Halloween in a minute. But before we do, I want to I want to uh, introduce my other co-host. He's he's on the show most of the time. It's Joe Fornerado. Joe, welcome back, buddy. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays, guys. This is fun. This is this is a <laughs> definitely a, an occasion to be talking about. Uh, all the holidays in uh, in this episode. This will be a lot of fun, and yeah, this is this is definitely a landmark. Uh, whether it be landmark film or we've already talked about the book, I'm uh, I'm just happy to be on this. So thank you. Yeah, uh, we we did talk about the book. Uh, unfortunately, it is very hard to get Ryan Lauer uh, on on a podcast. He's he's got a very uh, book schedule with the Batman Book Club. But he is uh, he is probably the I, I would say the authority on the long Halloween. So it was good to have him on for the book. But um, I know that Joe, it, it, the long Halloween is your favorite Batman story, correct? Yeah, it, it's hard to pick a favorite Batman anything. But if I had to choose one, I I've usually gone with that one. That's my go to. But yeah, right and. For Matt, you just read The Long Halloween not long ago for the first time, correct? Yes, I finished um, Long Halloween not long before you guys did that uh, podcast um, on on the book. Um, so, like, I, I knew I had finished all of it whenever that came out because I was I was completely on. Uh, 
up to date on everything. Like I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Um, but yeah, so this year, definitely like early this year, almost whenever I read it and then, then found out that the movie was coming out, uh, this year. And I was like, Oh, well that's, that's perfect timing. So. Well, I think you, I think you asked me, you were like, should I read the book before the movie comes out? And I'm like, well, yeah. If if the question is should you read the Long Halloween, the answer, regardless of the movie, is is yes, yes you should. Yes. <laughs> so well, before we uh, before we get into the movie, since uh, you just recently read the book for the first time, what did you? I'm I'm curious what you thought as a first time reader, um, this this far after its release and everything. What did you think of of reading the book? Um, I I thought it was great. Um. It was definitely more, um, there wasn't it like, it, you know, you have like comics that are just like heavy on the action and then like, especially with Batman, like you have ones that are just more, it's about mystery, what's going on, like kind of a, more like a, I don't want to say like noir theme, but kind of, sort of like, mm-hmm. that's more what it, what it felt like, and then, um, you know, having all these other influences and stuff you know where i've seen batman like big ones that come to to mind are like the dark knight trilogy and things like how uh especially uh yeah the second movie the the dark knight you know like um all of the you could tell where all the influences in that movie like how they pulled so heavily from um from the long halloween and kind of just that transition from you know the whole the whole premises we're going from you know a gang run gotham to a freaks run gotham um, it was it was interesting i remember i took i think i read the uh i read the first one like at work or something so like i you know, i got through it, it took me a while and then like took a little bit of a break got in it and i think i read like the next 11 or how many issues is it is it 12 or 13 um, but whatever I read the, I, everyone, after I read the first one, took a little break, like sat down like a few nights later and read the whole rest of the series, like nonstop, couldn't, couldn't put it down. Mm. Yeah. That, it's funny. Cause in that book, there's, there's certain chapters that feel like they're very heavy and they have a lot to them. And then there's certain chapters that just fly by, like you could read yeah. them really quick. Well, yeah, nice. I, 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 oh, go ahead. Nah, go, go ahead. We'll, uh, We'll keep moving on. I can I can mention that like a little bit later. On okay. The, once we get into spoiler territory. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, it's 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 pretty unique nowadays, especially on a Batman podcast, to to hear of someone that just read the book for the first time. So that's that, that's really cool, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. What do you think about that, Joe? These <laughs> first time reader of the Long Halloween. Well, yeah, it's it's one of those things where whenever you think of something that you love, you're like, man, I wish I could go back and experience that again for the first time. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. And I'm even more excited for you that you get to go read Dark Victory for the first time now, because you definitely need to go do that. Oh, very true. Yeah, I don't even know if I told you about that, Matt. Um, the The sequel to The Long Halloween, Dark Victory. You should definitely check that one out. Isn't aren't they doing a like another something later this year? That's a continuation. Yes, there is a uh, like a forty-eight page special uh, that's coming out in October 
for uh, it's a continuation of the long Halloween story. So that will take place after Dark Victory, or like how does that continue? Like, we don't really know because uh, they're, no, they're, they're, they're they're using the Long Halloween because that's the most popular of their stories, I guess. So that that makes more sense from a marketing standpoint. Um, but I would assume it has to take place after Dark Victory, but who knows? It could tie more into the Long Halloween. So we'll see. Yeah. But anyway, so far as the film, um, we've obviously all seen it. Again, uh, part two is already out there. We will be doing an episode on that very soon. But until then, we wanted to cover part one. We wanted to give it its due because, I mean, it is a it's especially for a DC animated film. It's a, it's a longer film in itself, so it deserves it deserves an episode all to itself. So before we get into spoiler territory, I wanted to get some brief spoiler-free thoughts from you guys. What did you think of the film? Um, did you enjoy it? Just just tell me your spoiler-free thoughts. We'll start with you, Joe. I I love the film. Um, I obviously love the book. They, you know, without getting into spoilers, they did... This is an adaptation or... I, I wouldn't say, I, I don't know how to differentiate between inspired by or adapted from. Like, it's not a direct adaptation, which I think with these films, it's smart to change things up as long as you keep the essence of the story. I know people always go back to Hush as being the one where they change too much. And maybe um, year one was too identical to the book. I think this is that perfect happy medium. Um, this is more in line with like the Dark Knight Returns, which I think the Dark Knight Returns is actually more, even more faithful, quote unquote, than this. But I think they did a, a phenomenal job. I, I will never complain that a movie is too long. Um, I'm not even going to say it's a nitpick as much as it is just kind of a, if someone were to complain and say this didn't need to be as long as it was, I could understand maybe they didn't need to pad it out, but I appreciated the additional stuff and I'll always appreciate the longer form storytelling. So I, uh, you know, without rambling too much here with the spoiler free stuff, I'll say I really, really loved it. And um, I think it sets up very nicely for a part two and I'm really looking forward to watching the two films back to back because like this being the part one, I think they really, they did everything they needed to do to make me like it enough to, to really want to see part two. Very nice. And yeah, uh, it's funny when you compare, uh, when you compare Batman year one and the dark Knight returns, it, it's, it's weird how that's, uh, or excuse me, not the Dark Knight Returns, Batman Hush. It's it's so funny how people get they they don't know really what they want because Batman Year One was a little too close to the book, yeah, and then Batman Hush was too different. So it's kind of like the it's almost like the uh, Superman Returns versus Man of Steel debate. <laughs> yeah, well, and and what's funny too is with like a a film like Gotham by Gaslight. They took a lot of liberties with that and everyone was okay with it because it was an Elseworlds story maybe to begin with. And they felt like that one was okay to change. So it's like as a as a creator, 
you have to decide what the fans are going to be okay with and what they're not going to be okay with. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do with fandom the way they are right now. Well, yeah, without jumping into a tangent, I think, I think if, if the changes improve the story, because I, in my personal opinion, the changes in Gotham by Gaslight slightly improve the ending of the story. Yes. uh, Then I think that's more forgivable. But anyway, uh, Matt, what about you? Spoiler free thoughts on part one. I'm kind of going to just uh, mirror most of what Joe said. Um, I, you know, I read the the books earlier in the year. The movie came out. Um, I intentionally did not reread anything um, before watching the movie. And like I could like having only read it once, I was like, okay, like this is this is different. Like you know, there were certain things that I was looking for to happen or waiting for to happen, and like you know, kind of just didn't or they went a different direction um but then um it still it still works for the movie like this the core and the like the base storyline and all is still kind of there um i think they do do a couple of things to kind of like it almost feels like they (laughs) made a few changes just to kind of throw you like the long-term reader off (laughs) um but i'm sure we'll talk about those in just a little bit um and yeah, like it was, I did not realize how much, um, you know, in this first part, like how, how thick that story was. And, um, to go off what Joe said, like, you know, you know, someone saying, if someone came up to me and said it was almost a little too much, I feel like if they had added, like if they had done it, you know, kind of like the year one movie where they had done it almost you know page by page panel by panel you would have ended up with an even longer first part um than than what we we came away with um and so i i can definitely you know sympathize with you know changing things and it's it kind of changes you know the book came out in in the 90s I mean, that's we don't want to admit it but you know we're getting close to or technically, wouldn't this be 25 years for the um, for the book this year? Came out in '96. I thought it was in the 2000s. The book. I'm looking at mm. them now. Maybe wrong. Don't. No the comic. In the '90 '96-'97. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't realize it was that old because it holds yeah. up better for me. I did not realize it was that long. Yeah, so 25 years now, like your your audience is different. I mean, you got people that are gonna be watching this that weren't even weren't even live whenever it first came out. So like the, um, you know, you got to change a, a couple of things, you know, to kind of keep it just from like a marketing standpoint, which is fine because you got to sell you got to sell movies. It's the art is still there, um, and I think you've got great people still working on it to preserve the essence of the story. So. And like Joe, looking forward to kind of seeing how it all melds together with the um, with uh, part two, watching them you know, back to back together as one series. Nice. Uh, yeah, I my thoughts are, are pretty similar to you guys. Um, it, yeah, the lengthwise, I don't. Uh, yeah, I I enjoyed this this film at the length. I mean, I'm used to the animated films being what are they normally seventy seven minutes or something like that. So this one yeah, was like just a tad. Yeah, this one was just a tad bit longer, um, and and I knew I think going in knowing that you're getting a part one and a part two, 
yeah, I, the, 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 the length of time didn't bother me at all. It's kind of like when I went to see um, it in movie theaters at the end, when the chapter one title card came up, I was like, Oh, great. It, it doesn't matter the length. I know I'm getting a huge story in two parts, so it's cool. But yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed part one. Um, after I had finished watching it for the first time, I, I already knew, I, I think I told Joe, you know, Batman under the, under the red hood is my all time favorite animated film. And, or at least Batman film. And this movie, when I first saw it, knowing we had part two coming, I was like, this could be a contender to knock under the red hood out of that top spot. I don't quite know if it has. Um, we'll talk about that when we talk about part two, but yeah, this is a, this is a thrill ride. It's, it's a fun, fun movie. Uh, and, and not to say it's a thrill ride as in it's, it's slam packed with action from credit to credit, but it gives you that same spirit of the book. It gives you that same uh, detective feel. You, you, you know, Batman's early in his career and he's coming into his own and he's trying to figure these things out. And this this long murder mystery is unfolding and it, and it works for me just as I don't know if better, but it works just as well as it does in the book. I, I really enjoyed it. And I actually enjoyed the little change that we got at the end of this part that we'll talk about later once we get into spoiler territory. But yeah, Batman, the long Halloween part one for me is fantastic. And it's going to be one I revisit quite a bit, especially now that we have both parts, but from there we are going to jump into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen part one, stop here, go watch it and come back because this is, this is where the, uh, the spoiler free zone stops. All right, so getting into it, um, we know we have Jensen Ackles as the first time as Batman, so I wanted to get your guys' opinion on Jensen Ackles in this film. Uh, Matt, let's start with you. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jensen's. Um, I have watched every single episode of Supernatural. Um, I loved him. By the way, good on you for that, because 15 seasons is a lot to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I fell off it, a long time ago. <laughs> It was it was one of those things where I, it was not one of those that I like restarted and watched again. Like I picked up right where I left off and kind of like looked up what I needed. But um, it was one of those I had to I had to see it all the way through to the end. Whenever I heard that it was finally coming to an end, um, but uh, loved him in that. Um, that's uh, obviously his longest running work. Um, but he was also uh, in. Uh, under the red hood um i mm -hmm. loved his role there um always known that he's had a a big wish to do a batman part um and i think this is a a, a fantastic i think it's an honor for him you know you know we talk about how how big of a story this is to make your debut um performance as batman as you know batman in the long halloween and um you just mentioned uh, a minute ago about you know the you know, the struggles of, you know, early Batman, young Batman comes in, he's still struggling, you know, with the whole detective thing. Like he knows how to beat people up, but like, you know, solving the mystery and, and stopping it before it happens, like he can tell he struggles with that. And I think Jensen's voice just lends so well to that, just that inner, that inner struggle, especially um, uh, later as, as deeper we go into the movie, you know, and people start making, you know, 
how much a, de a detective comments and stuff to you. It's kind of like you can just you can just see like the scowl on like on Jensen's face while he's he's doing those parts, like just braiding, you know. And it's I, I would love to see more of it. <laughs> well, I don't. I can't confirm it, but. It it seems like this is uh, this is all a shared universe um, with Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and JSA World War Two. So I'm hoping we're going to get a lot more of Jensen as Batman. So we'll see. But Joe, what about uh, what about you? What did you think of Jensen Ackles here as as the Dark Knight? Yeah, I thought he did a great job. I I have never gotten into the supernatural, and it's kind of the the daunting task when you see something that's 15 seasons, I probably will never get into supernatural, but that is not a slight on the show at all. I just don't know anything about it. Um, but I loved him in under the red hood and I was happy for him to see him get this role. And I thought he did a great job. I, I actually, and this might be, I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion, but I think this fits pretty well for me as it could work as a long Halloween sequel. I think I know a lot of people weren't crazy about Ben McKenzie in Long Hollow in um Batman Year One. Did I say Batman Year One or did I say Long Halloween? I'm sorry. You said Long Halloween. <laughs> I meant Batman Year One sequel. Obviously, it's not a sequel to Long Halloween. Um, I meant uh, so I think he kind of took that way of voicing Batman and kind of improved on it. I, I think he did a I think he did a really nice job, and he's not that. Like he did his own thing though. Like I can't even compare him to anyone else. I just think as far as maybe tone wise, it reminded me of that. But and I will say there were a couple times, maybe, that I heard his Red Hood voice a little bit. But other than that, I I think he did a really good job of differentiating between his voice from under the Red Hood to this, which is not an easy task. Hmm. Yeah, um, so far as Jensen goes, for me, I did. I watched several seasons of Supernatural, and I just kind of fell off. But I, I have been a fan of Jensen Ackles since the first season of, uh, of Supernatural. And I will say, Joe, um, and, and Matt, you can, you can weigh in on this if you want. But it, if you wanted to get the best of Supernatural, I think it's seasons one through three, personally, my opinion. But yeah, there's a there's definitely I was I was thinking about that whenever he was like, oh, 15 seasons. Like, that's just so daunting. I'm like, you don't need <laughs> yeah. 15. Like, you'll no. you'll get to a point you'll know, like, at the end the of gist. the season, you'll be like, OK, this is where the story should have ended. But <laughs> like the money train just kept flowing. So like it's. It, there's definitely a spot where the quality just goes down and you don't miss anything if you don't keep going. But like, oh, but we'll yeah. Just... Um, like I said, from from season one of Supernatural, I really enjoyed uh, Jensen Ackles, and he just has a I don't know like a, a swagger about him that's that's pretty appealing. So yeah. And then when I found out that he was voicing uh, Red Hood in Under the Red Hood, I thought that was that was really cool, and I was blown away by his performance there. I thought he was great. I thought he brought a, a lot of uh, weight and emotion to that role. Um, so far as Batman in this film, I really, really like him as Batman. I think he did a great job. Um, I don't I, if I had a nitpick, I would say I I wish he would have differentiated between his Bruce Wayne voice and his Batman voice just a little more. Um, 
and I think that's true of part two as well. That's that's not a spoiler. I mean, it's, it's the same guy voicing the role. But yeah, uh, that that's the only nitpick I'd have. But I really, really enjoyed him as Batman in this movie. So uh, staying with the voice cast, we're not going to go character by character. But I want to know, was um, was there any standouts other than Jensen Ackles as Batman for you guys? Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. Um. It was the voice of Joker. I, I made sure to check it on Troy Baker. Um, that was Troy, Troy Baker. Baker. I I enjoy his Joker. Um, I, he's he my favorite obviously voice is is Mark Hamill, and I feel like Troy Baker is like right up there with him, or like, um, you know, either tied or a very very close second. Um, I actually had to like call myself a couple times on uh, rewatch like. Was that Hamill? I was like, I don't think. I was like, no, it was not. Ham-. I was like, Hamill was not on the, on the credits. I would have remembered that. And but I just that that style for the voice of the Joker, like I, it's it's always going to be there for me. Um, that's probably the biggest standout um, for me that I noticed. Well, you're not alone in that thinking of uh, is that Hamill because Troy Baker does the best Hamill impression in the business, yeah. <laughs> and that's. That's absolutely what he's doing as a Hamill impression, but he does it very well. So, yeah. Uh, Joe, what about you? Any standouts amongst the cast? Um, I think he's right with uh, with Troy Baker, definitely. Um, especially since the Joker plays a pretty big part in Part One. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, without going into every single character, I think uh, I will I will take Naya Rivera. I think she did a great job as Selena Kyle. Um, you know, uh, it's it's so sad that she passed away uh, last year, and but we were lucky enough to have her full her full uh, performance. Uh, this was her last performance, as far as I know, and uh, mm-hmm. she did a, a really great job as Selena. I I really liked it. Um, I think Selena plays a really important role in this, and it was nice to have a, a really good voice actress playing her. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, Naya was was absolutely a standout in the film. Her performance was really, really good as Catwoman. But for me, um, I have two. Josh Duhamel as Harvey Dent was fantastic. Um, I thought he was really good. And (laughs) you were right, Joe. We talked about this before we started recording. We talked about how much part two was going to creep in. And we want to talk about that, but we can't. But um, so I'll stop short there saying that Josh Jumel was absolutely wonderful as Harvey Dent. And I'll also say that David, um, I'm going to butcher his last name. Dismulchin? Dismulchin, yeah. I think it's Dismulchin, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) as Calendar Man was creepy and haunting, and I really, really liked him in the the role. And yeah – David Delsmolchen has a lot of uh, a lot of DC legacy going for him now, doesn't he, Joe? <laughs> oh yeah, I I actually got a is it Michael Emerson who did the Joker in Dark Knight Returns? Am I am I getting I th- his name wrong? It's the guy from uh, oh crap, what the heck is the, the Jonathan Nolan show? Person of interest. Um, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. When it comes to Dark Knight Returns, I always get confused because I want to put uh, Brent Spiner as the Joker in that movie, but it's not. He's in Young Justice. So it's um, 
uh, the for Dark Knight Returns, it's Michael Amber as the Joker. Okay. So yeah, so I got that kind of vibe from him, which isn't a slight at all. I I think it's it's the perfect like mix of creepy and like it, yeah, he he did a really nice job as Calendar Man. That's like yeah. how that's almost like how you would picture his voice sounding because we've never heard Calendar Man, right? In anything? Um, not that I know of. So, I can't recall anything. Yeah, so like I mean, other than the Arkham games. Oh, that's right. So maybe that's what I'm comparing it to. But I think it's just, yeah, I think he did a really nice job with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I will agree with you, Eric, too, on the the Josh Paul thing. He was, while we were, while Joe was talking, I was like, you know what? I had mentioned, I thought about Josh tomorrow. I was going to ask him. Neither one of you had mentioned him. I was going to ask what you guys thought of it. I could. Am I the only one that could see him actually playing a live action like Harvey Dent? Like he could absolutely be a live action. Like Dent. I just, I kept picturing, I kept picturing him like you know because he just got done. They just had Jupiter's Legacy come out and then immediately canceled um, on Netflix. <laughs> and I kept picturing like that, like him now. I was like he would be a perfect. Like I could see him coming in already as like Haggard DA. It's already put all these people in Arkham. And then, like, make that just crazy transition. Well, Matt Reeves, if you're listening, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I mean, we can't we can't spend the the whole time talking about this voice voice cast. But from top to bottom, this is a really really good voice cast. I think it's right up there with some of the best that um, DC Animation has used in a movie. So, but moving on from the voices, uh, let's talk a little bit about the animation because this is a this is a big sticking point with uh, with comic book fans when they see adaptations of their favorite comics, and especially with something like The Long Halloween because Tim Sale's art style is very distinctive. It's very stylized, and um, they had they had a tall task of trying to emulate. And I'm glad I'm personally glad that they didn't do that. So, Joe, with this being um, your one of your favorite, if not your favorite, Batman stories, what did you think of of the art style? I know you're not a mega fan of this new uh, DC Universe art style. Um, no, I'm not. But I, I also, I think the first thing I said to you was, even though I'm not a fan of the art style, about five minutes into this film, I forgot about the art style because I think the the film was just so good. And I they not that they changed the art style, but they did a great job with the shadows and the coloring and made it really fit the mood of the story. And I think that's where not that I don't want to say I want to forgive the art style because I don't think it's bad. It's just not my preferred animation style. But I agree with you. It's it would have been really difficult to um, to try to emulate Tim Sale's artwork. So it's, it is kind of that thing where, well, we can't do that. So let's just do our own thing. And in this case, they are keeping it in. We assume the continuity films, they haven't actually come out and say that, or I said that, but three films in and they're all the same animation style, even if they're not 
in the same universe it's it might be just a budget thing where it's easier to keep everything with the same style i don't care either way it is what it is at this point it's not worth me you know griping over the animation style because i think it's fine and Mm -hmm. i i think it did work for this film i actually think it works better for this film surprisingly than uh maybe superman uh man of tomorrow for whatever reason i don't know why i think it's just the i think the the quality is excellent whether it be my preferred style or not, I think they do a great job with it. And like I said, the coloring, the shadows, it has that, it's not Tim Sale, but it still has that stylized look to it for this story, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, well, before I get started, Matt, you, again, we're going to talk about this a few times, but you, you, you being the, the most recent to read this, I don't, I don't even know your thoughts on Tim Sale's art. So what do you think of Tim Sale's art, and then what do you think of them changing it for the movie? What, how, how did it work for you? I, I love the art. Um, like, and I, I actually, just watching the, the little clips they have at the beginning where they actually use his art, you know, in some of the frames and stuff, just reminded yeah, me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was fantastic. <laughs> like, this is a fantastic-looking book. Um, but just like you two said, like, that art and i think part of it is just his style already has so much like motion and detail to it if you try to actually add real motion into it i think it's going to be so jar like it would not surprise me if they actually tried to you know take it uh, you know something much more closer to tim sales you know actual images and try to animate animate them and just were like no this is not working like this is not i don't i as much as i would love to see an like a an adaptation like that just live action i don't i don't think it would work um Mm. so i i completely agree with him doing something different and uh i think for each of these movies that's used this art style me and you have talked about it eric and like with superman man of tomorrow like it fit it worked for me i had no issues with it whatsoever and then when um uh justice society came out uh a while back i i i I complained about it i was like it was a little like off for me i don't know what it was um if it was just the different varieties of characters the settings what it i just didn't i don't know what was different about it i just didn't um, it was a little bit distracting for me. And then on this, the first time, like I didn't even really watching, I didn't even notice it. And then the second time, I was like, oh yeah, this is that exact same art style. I completely forgot about that. Like, and it, but it, it was like Joe said, it's something about that setting in Gotham. I think, um, and it may could be that this is you know third iteration, third time they've done it. Like they they've ironed out any of the kinks or what. Um, but it it definitely works, um, and it I don't know if it's the fact that it's it's so new, and it's you know it is something different, and so that helps kind of preserve some of that you know Tim Sale like you know, style because a, a big part of that I think is you know his his art style is so much different from what you see in comics. So this is something that we normally don't see in animated movies. So now mm-hmm. it's kind of helps preserve that a little bit. But it it definitely works for the time period. I think it kind of brings that little bit more 
modern edge, like I was talking about, you know, the book was set like in the nineties, um, or, you know, was written back in the nineties. So that's kind of more like the, the modern setting it has. And now the movie, I feel a little bit more, you know, kind of modernized. Um, and I think the art style tends to, um, lend itself to that. Um, so. Yeah. You know what? Um, and I di- honestly didn't even think about it when I was watching the movie. It just didn't cross my mind. But the the thing that differentiates the time period between the book and the film is cell phones. Because there yeah. are cell phones in the movies. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the differentiating point to me uh, now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, so far as this art, I really love... Uh, Tim Sale's art style. We've talked about that before. I don't think it works for all stories, but for Batman The Long Halloween, it, it's absolutely perfect. But again, I think I discussed this with Joe and Ryan in our um, discussion about the book. If you were to try to adapt this and, and f- into like a faithful art style for a movie and you fail, I think it would be a miserable failure. So... I'm I'm kind of glad that they didn't try to do that, and I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing out of this uh, quote unquote Archer art style for for the DC animated movies. I, I like it so far. I'll agree with you, Matt. I think it was, I think it was slightly, uh, I don't know, jerkier in um, JSA World War II. It did, yeah. It was, like it just didn't seem as smooth. Like even when people were just talking, like it didn't seem. Like it was like, I would have moments where it would like take me out. I was like, wait, hold on. Like, and I actually have a tiny bit of that criticism here for the long Halloween because, and I didn't even notice it at first, but it was a, it was upon, um, repeat viewings of the long Halloween part one that I noticed there are a few moments here and there where the animation is just a tiny bit jerky. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's, if it's more the computer, the computer-based art style versus the hand-drawn animation that that people used to use, um, so I don't I don't know what the what that is. But overall, I really really enjoyed the look of this film. I I thought it was fantastic. I like um, the design of this art style. I like the thick black, heavy lines. It really reminds me of of comic book art, not necessarily Tim Sale's art. But comic book art in general, with those with those heavy lines. So yeah, that was that was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, one thing I will say about this art style: Have you guys noticed that people's noses disappear in this art style? <laughs> no, especially I especially the females. I I have not, but that hey, that might be one of my problems. Like why my JSA <laughs> was so bad. Like I'd be watching, and all of a sudden, Wonder Woman's nose gone, and I'm like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> Well, it, it's 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 when they're facing the camera, it's like they you see the sides, but you don't. They're like the tip of the nose is not there, and well, it's I've... just. I I really noticed it um, on Wonder Woman in JSA World War Two, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna look for that in the Long Halloween, and sure enough, I noticed it the most on Gilda Dent. It's like her the tip of her nose just goes away when she faces the camera. So. <laughs> But I'll anyway, to, yeah, I have to pay attention. Watch part yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, look for it. It, it. it it honestly it drives me crazy a little bit, but otherwise, other than that, I really like it. Um, 
Okay, so let's let's actually get into the story of uh, of the of the movie and especially how it compares to to the book because that's inevitably what everybody's going to do. So we get half of the story here. Um, I don't know if it actually covers exactly half of the holidays. I does it, Joe? Uh, no, it doesn't. No, it because it it only covers. That was the jarring thing for me on first watch. It only goes from. Halloween uh, to New Year's Day. That's it. Yeah. Ah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they've really stretched out this the the first couple of months. Yeah, to really set up the story and then they skip a, well, yeah, we're only talking about part one, so I'm not gonna go into that. Um <laughs> yeah. sorry. <laughs> so uh but yeah, like they and because I remember when when I first watched it, I was like, Wow, like so we're going from we only got to New Year's Day, and it was an hour and a half. So that's where I was kind of like, "Wow, they're really gonna." I wonder what they're gonna do for part two, because I don't think they, I don't think they stretched out to what um, Matt was saying. It's not stretched out to a fault. They the pace is pretty good, and they, you know, they. So what is that? That's four holidays. It goes Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. They spent a lot of time on Christmas with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely longer than the book, book. correct? Yeah, because you get um, you get two, and I think I honestly think the um the two Joker chapters in the book are they're not they're not long they're kind of abbreviated chapters. Mm-hmm. I mean they're fun they're some of the most fun in the story but I they they go pretty quick. But they really, yeah, but I, I, yeah I, I think they fleshed the Joker part out, obviously because he's the Joker and that's a selling point of the movie. Yes, and they, they do a, a pretty smart job of of making that the climax of part one, which I think is smart because, like you said, it's the Joker. What are you going to make your big climax for part one and end on something, you know, like – did you really want to end on St. Patrick's day or, or like the, the actual, you know, six month point, what that would have been as far as what was in the book and, you know, not knowing what's coming in part two, I think it was a smart way to end this part or um, yeah, this, this part of the movie. So again, it's four holidays. They, I think you need to really set up the story with Halloween and they did a really good job with that. Oh yeah, from the opening of the story, I mean, it it, it harkens exactly back to the book because I mean, you open the same way you did um, at Johnny Vitti's wedding with uh, Bruce Wayne in Carmine Falcone's office. So yeah, they they did the setup very well, and I I just I think it works well with the with Carmine Falcone just slowly losing his grip on the city uh, on the city's crime world and. They set up pretty quickly. It's it's within the first few minutes that we get the first murder, right? Yeah, it's like immediately, like after I think, like the like they do like a short introduction, and then like after you get like the whole like opening credits, like boom, he gets shot in the bathtub. Like you don't even really know. I don't even think you know who um, VD is, and all of a sudden he's dead in a bathtub full of his own. I actually, on the rewatch, I started rewatching and I was like, wait a second. Okay. I want to see exactly like what is different, like in the book versus what is in the movie. 
And so I reread book one, and then which ends with um, uh, Harvey and Gilda's house being blown up. And then mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, let's 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 play the movie and see what we got different. And it um, you miss a lot of that, um, like uh, Carm- uh, Carmine's um, sister. Like she's she's not even really a, like she's mentioned, but like she has nowhere near like the big play in it in the movie that she does in the books um like i said we have um like there's not a uh, in the book it you know bruce does the voiceover talking about how um vd was was going to like turn everything over and then all of a sudden like he stopped and now carmine's paying for this huge wedding and stuff it's kind of you know alluding to the fact that you know carmine bought him back off you know bought him back into the family and Mm -hmm. you don't really get any of that setup. And it also, to me kind of misses that whole setup of why, why is Bruce and and Carmine even talking? Like what is Carmine's draw to try and get Bruce? Like, because that whole setup in the, in the book is, um, you know, he's using the bank president um, to, to try and get them to let Carmine use put their money back in the bank and mm-hmm. uh, that's why he's trying to, to, to whine and dine bruce and, and all and you kind of miss that in the movie a little bit um and you miss the whole uh, Catwoman shows up at falcone's and is raiding the safe while batman's trying to do it that's what starts the chase starts away um, well the so, the the Catwoman dynamic is definitely something that they changed from the book. Um, it's not a complete change, but it, from from the perspective that we get in the movie, it seems like uh, Catwoman and Batman have have an ongoing relationship already in yes. this in this film universe. Um, Joe, it, it, I want you to weigh in on that. What did you think of the differences between Catwoman kind of being a a a constant presence, but but her and Batman hadn't really crossed paths too much, versus them seemingly having a relationship here in this movie. Yeah, I, I think it's okay. I, I I liked it because I I bought into the relationship here. I think it was done very well, and I I think it works still as an early relationship between the two of them. It's not like an ongoing thing as much as say Hush was. Um, as far as what Matt was talking about with the bank dealings and the, you know, he wanted, he basically wanted to launder his money through Wayne Enterprises or Wayne Financial or whatever it's called in the, the context of this. Um, they just kind of switch around scenes in the movie. So they touch mm-hmm. upon that later in part one, as opposed to early on in the book. Yeah. So like they did a lot of twisting around scenes like you were talking about how the apart um their house blows up so early in the book where here you get more time with them before the house explodes and i think that is something that they they just kind of looked at the whole um the book and said okay how can we you know work a script around a, a part one of a film and i think they did change things up in a smart way what happens so before the opening credits, because you were right, Matt, uh, John Vitti dies right after the opening credits. 
there is a shooting up of the Maroni restaurant before the credits. Mm-hmm. I do yes. not remember that from the book. I, Does that I happen could, later in the book? I can't, I can't. I still cannot place like what that is supposed to have been. I like think, I said, I, yeah, like I felt like that's Mar- almost just setting up the feud between the two. Yeah, like this is this is the whole was it uh, Maroni versus Falcon? Like yes, kind of like. Kind of give that's it just how a little I bit of, it. yeah. That that's the only thing that really makes sense to me, because uh, like I couldn't I couldn't pin it back on to anything else. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I do remember Maroni's restaurant being shot up in the in the book. But yeah, I feel like that was on a holiday. It, it yeah, was. I think that was a different holiday, lo- yeah. yeah, it was in a different location in the book, so they did change that up for the movie. Yeah. But um, to your point, I do think that they they changed how much they focused on some characters and weighed a little heavier on some than they did in the book. Um, I, I like that they actually spent a little more time with um, with Harvey and Gilda to kind of set up how much that how much that um, what's happening in the city and how much is demanded of Harvey Dent as the D.A., is affecting that relationship and that marriage. I love the scene when he's just gotten home. They're sitting on the on the back porch. Yep. Um, they're talking about having a date night or whatever, and then you don't even know what's going on. You're you're the camera is on Gilda's face, but Harvey says, "Gilda, I'm so sorry," and she looks up and sees the bat signal. And I just thought that was so well done. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I yeah, think they did a really nice job with with Gilda and Harvey's relationship. And anyone who's read the book knows that Gilda and Harvey play a huge part in the the conclusion of the story. So I think they're playing into that for the the people that are in the know. And it's mm-hmm. nice to see that they did give, you know, a lot more to why Gilda is feeling this way or why, you know, without getting into what the end of the book is it's kind mm-hmm. of you know they're they're giving you more to sink your teeth into as far as the two of them and where they're going to go in part two yeah the way part one sets it up i mean you have a you have a lovely or a loving doting wife who is just very strained because her husband can't spend time with her i mean that's that's it, and they really hit that emotional chord over and over in part one. So I thought it was really well done. What'd you think, Matt? Uh, second, third, everything you guys said, like it's a, it's a very, it's something I noticed, especially on the rewatch, just how, how much of a core part of, of the story it is. And I, I'm going to dare to say that I feel like this movie has done a better justice of showing exactly in reality, what this would do to a to a marriage, especially, I mean, it's obvious, especially from that first scene with them together, that they're already having trouble, you know, whether it's from having kids or her not working, whatever, you know, um, before this story starts. And um, I, I think people that have, have gone through, you know, issues like with a marriage or relationship or whatever definitely be able to sympathize and say okay yeah that's 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 fairly real for something that's in an animated movie based off of a comic book that's 
Mm-hmm. Very, very well done. Mm-hmm. I think a uh, um, another relationship in the in the movie that is that is a lot more kind of focused in on is the relationship between Carmine Falcone and his son Alberto. Um, the scene at Thanksgiving when Falcone just just brutally tells Alberto that, that that he'll never inherit the family business and just makes him feel less than was was very impactful. Uh, I they didn't they didn't really I don't think they really went into that dynamic until the end of the book and and here you get it much much sooner. Yeah. Um for sure. Um cuz it's I mean it's literally like you have it very heavily um, in the movie. I know, I know, it's kind of like you get like a little dash of it in the book, but like in the movie, it's like they almost throw the Alberto Carmine relationship at you from the very beginning, and like it just it does not stop um, all the way through mm-hmm. part one, um, and it's much. It's almost you know kind of in reverse to in the book where you don't get as you know, it's almost like he's kind of just a background character through the first set of the books. And then um, you actually get kind of the um, the meat of it towards the end of the series. And not as where here you get the meat potatoes of it all all there in the first half. Um, so well, yeah, I, I like what they did there, too. Uh, and I'll let Joe touch on this, but. Yeah, the Alberto thing, they really like they didn't really get into, as you were saying, the meat of his story in the book until after he's captured, very near the end of the book. So in this movie, Alberto is you, you get a lot more uh, backstory on him right from the beginning. I, th- I thought that worked well for for a movie adaptation. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head with this being a movie adaptation. They they wanted to set up the potential suspects in Mm. the first part. And they wanted to tease you throughout the first part of those two biggest suspects are clearly Harvey Dent and Alberto Falcone. So Mm. we'll get to what happens at the end. That's, that's essentially why they were doing what they were doing with Alberto because they wanted to, I I would assume they want to misdirect the readers. They wanted to misdirect the people that have read the book and know the book. So let's give them more of the Alberto Falcone backstory here and kind of set them up to be shocked when the twist happens at the end. And I, I appreciated that because I think that that conversation at Thanksgiving was great. And he even gets more of a backstory here in part one than he does in the book in general, which I appreciated too. Definitely more depth to his character here than in the book. And I think it sets up that twist beautifully at the end of part one. Yeah, I agree. Um, so for, we've, we've kind of skipped around, but to, uh, to, to go kind of through the story, um, we all know that, Gordon and Dent and Batman have have made this trio to to kind of um, come together and and 
find out who this killer is, who's who's killing people on holidays and and trying to bring down this organized crime unit. Um, one of the very interesting things to me was I mean, you can see just like in the book, you can see that Falcone is trying to stop this whole thing. He's, he, so he goes to what he knows at the beginning before he ever gets into starting to hire the freaks and things like that, which comes later in the book and obviously later in this story as well. But he starts with what he knows, organized crime. Now, Joe, I, I want to get your opinion. What did you think of them swapping races here with the with the gang um, that Falcone hires to bomb Dent's house? Because in the book, we had an Irish gang. And here we have what I think is a Chinese gang. You know what? I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. Um, really? Yeah, I think because when I saw this, I didn't want to go back and reread the book to the point where I was comparing it to a T page to page, like everything. So I guess I just didn't. That's one of the parts of the book that just never stood out to me as a big deal where like, oh, this was Irish. So like I, I almost felt like that whole story with Matt. uh, Was it Matt was the guy? Matty? Uh, Mickey, 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 Chin. Mickey. Um, I felt like that was much more fleshed out here in the film than it was in the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah. maybe that's just because I don't remember it as much I, in the book. I'll I'll weigh in on this, Eric, because this is actually um part of the movie that I um that I did not like. Um, so like I I do remember, and it, this may just be because like I like the book is so much fresher in my mind um from reading it the first time earlier in the year um but the uh the part with the irish gang like that actually stood out to me because instead of them having a big fight scene like on the streets um it was a it was more of a a police thing where they um because i think they put a mask on dent it was and like uh, like yeah. sent him back in and like their plan was to get him to turn that they were to think it was because um, the character's name was Mickey and both because Mick is yeah. a, a Irish name and then apparently they're using it for a, a Chinese gang as well in the movie um, and so like it was to get him to the fake Mick which is Dent to get the rest of the gang to turn and then they were gonna um some back or whatever ends up backfiring but you like that whole series like i i enjoyed it i i thought it was i thought it was great because you're like all right yes they're gonna get somewhere and then and then the gangsters come back are like nope can't get us that easy like it's gonna be much harder you know than that you think you're you think you're good but you're, you still got a lot to learn mm-hmm. um and so whether they had done that with you know irish Chinese, whatever, like, you know, make them Canadian. I don't care. Like that doesn't make any, any difference to me. Um, like, but I miss, I, I hate the fact that they kind of, and I see kind of why you do it because like, I feel like you probably would have been a little bit of sparse on action in the movie if you had cut that whole scene out. Um, but uh, I would have rather, the action scene in the alley. The, uh, yeah, because like we, yeah. the fight scene that we had in the alley, you know, with the Chinese gang, with the trio or whatever, like 
you didn't get that in the book like you you didn't really get that at all um what you did get and this is probably one of my bigger pet peeves too is we got the fight scene in the book with solomon grundy in the sewers Mm -hmm. and i was so disappointed that we did not get to see what it was that batman subdued solomon (laughs) grundy with (laughs) in the face he talked to him and that was it i was like no what did he use what did you pull out of his belt I totally forgot about that scene. Like I really did try to just judge this film based on the film itself. So I was really trying not to, to even look for things. And that's so funny because there are things that are obviously left out of this film. And that was one thing that didn't even occur to me because Solomon Grundy was in the film. So I just wanted Solomon Grundy in the film. Yeah. And you know, Batman leaving him Thanksgiving dinner. Like that was my checklist. It didn't even cross my mind. (laughs) about the fight scene and you're so it's so funny you brought that up because we clearly talked about that on the other episode and obviously you you must have talked to eric about that (laughs) i don't i don't think i did but i remember listening to y'all talk about it and i was like wait a second now i gotta look it up and see if i can figure out what it was and i have no idea like i cannot tell i was like that's okay the movie will have it and it'll be like completely solved we'll we'll find out in july nope Well, I remembered that as well because I I thought about it at the same time. As soon as Mickey Chin went into the sewers, I was like, yes, we're finally going to find out what Batman does to Solomon Grundy. And you're right, Matt. They just don't even bother with it. They, he doesn't even – like do he it. doesn't even throw a punch at him. Like he just talks to him. And I'm like, oh, he, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he appeals. I was like, oh, so we got, the, we got the Chinese gang fight, but we don't get a Solomon Grundy fight. Like I would have yeah. totally rather have had the Solomon Grundy fight like in the sewers. He, they he appeals the to the heart route. of the beast. They were like – they were like, we, we can't do the animation. We can't even show how Batman subdues Solomon Grundy because we don't know. So we're just gonna we're just gonna avoid that. That's exactly what it was. I, I don't know the animators, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. They were like, we don't know what yeah. he's doing on this panel, so we're just gonna leave this out. This I bet is you that, I bet you they, the end I bet of you, the killing joke. I bet, <laughs> I bet you they I bet you they animated the scene and someone was like Wait, what is that? What did he pull out? And they're like, we don't even know. He just does something. And they're like, no, you can't put that in there. You've got to change that. Do, do something else. Well, so the reason I brought up the race swap is because so, – so we get the we get the whole thing of, of um, Batman with his encounter with the gang in the alleyway and the fight, and then we get the sewer and Solomon Grundy and all that good stuff. But then we get – um, we get the same situation from the book, uh, just changed up a little bit where they don't have anything on the chins and the chins are released. Um, but if this is my nitpick of the film, because I kind of cringed a little bit, the party scene where they're all together on Thanksgiving and they're having the meal or whatever, and they're celebrating, there is some noises in there that these Chinese, uh, people are making that kind of made me cringe because it reminded me of the wrist the aristocats a little bit and i'm like oh you guys shouldn't have done that (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if you guys noticed it but it just felt oh it felt like old school kind of racist stereotypical chinese i'm like oh (laughs) so maybe it was just me but that stuck out like a sore thumb I don't remember it. I'll have to like go back and rewatch the scene and see. But uh, 
yeah it was not yeah it was just not my favorite change um in the movie i would have preferred that was something like i really wish they had stayed faithful with um, mm, yeah i i don't mind the swap i will say i I tend to I tend to enjoy uh, Irish accents and things like that, so I would have loved if they had the Irish gang. But yeah, it didn't bother me up until that that little nitpick I just I just mentioned. But um, anyway, moving on. Um, Post uh, Thanksgiving is when we um, after the Chin uh, after Chin and his associates are killed by Vidi's murderer, uh, Gordon and Batman just like they do in the book get a little desperate we have holiday killings going on so we go to we go to meet calendar man julian day and this is when we first get that that awesome voice by david del uh, and and this this was a great scene to me i really enjoyed it i thought they adapted it well to the book and i also really liked the little uh uh the little nod of how Batman's war on crime is a quote unquote joke, which lets you know what's happened. Batman realizes it at the same time that he hears it, he knows what's happening. And I think that was, I don't know what you guys think, but I think that was the big draw to this movie. The Joker escaping from Arkham was obviously the main event of the film. Well, uh, don't you think Joe? Oh yeah. 100%. I, I even you know, touched on that before. I, I think that's, like I said, they, they had to make something be the big climax of this film. And I, I think even to the credit of the book, that was the, one of the biggest draws of the book. You know, like you said, the Joker got two chapters. Um, and they even padded it out a little bit more to make this huge fun climax mm-hmm. and to, you know, to show Joker being the threat. And it, it's the beginning of showing the monsters of Gotham city taking over the mafia like the the mafia is no longer the big threat that they you know were now it's about the joker the joker's the wild card and that that was just to me it was the perfect climax to end part one mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean the 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 two holidays that we get and they they really stretch out christmas and new year's eve uh, in the movie, which I, I actually really enjoyed because it ju- from the from the scene we get in the dense house, it, it, it's menacing in the book, but I think Joker here with the dense is even more menacing than it is in, in the book, honestly. What do you think, Matt? Um, I would I would agree. Um, I, a lot of that kind of goes to the uh, to the voice acting being able to. Because that just that the voice and stuff like with the Joker is just the it, it can make or break a scene. I feel like, um, and you having someone as talented as this Floyd Baker or someone like who just brings out that psycho. I'm I'm doing it because oh I want to like you know like the Joker's whole premise you know at the end of this book is there can't be two psycho like killers in gotham like no that's that's my job so like um you know especially like with the whole new year's thing like he's he his whole thing was i'm gonna kill half of god half of gotham because that gives me a 50 percent chance to take out my competition like and i get to have fun killing a bunch of people doing it like that's my that's my thing 
And yeah, that's the best. So, that's the best thing of what he said was he said, uh, "And if I don't kill Holiday, at least I get to kill in it, um, half yeah. of Gotham with you know however many people that are innocent." Like that's that's a great that's a great Joker line. It's very Joker. Yeah, and and there's something to me. As twisted as it is, there is something to me that I really enjoy about the Joker in a Christmas setting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, and I was going to say that, like, because so many of his like iconic like appearances in, in film and cartoons and comics and stuff are around Christmas. So, um, and I think like I was going to mention this. I think when you're looking at dividing this movie into two, I think the ideal place to do it, especially, you know, you're going to leave a, you want to leave a cliffhanger for uh, at the end of part one, leave it with just like they did with Ivy, you know, you know, being introduced to Bruce the first time and you you get that. Oh crap. Like now he's under their spell kind of thing. I think that's Mm -hmm. ideal. And I think that's why they end up only doing the first four holidays in part one, because you don't want to do that towards like two thirds of the way through part one. And then like you said, like end on like St. Patrick's day or April fools or something like that, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of part one. And you're kind of like, Oh, well, there was no like climax. And so like where you have that in, then the obvious, like big bad to put at the end is, is the joke, you know, and then the obvious setting Christmas and, New Year's, like it's, it fits perfectly. Well, yeah, and since you brought it up, yeah, we 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 do end the film on New Year's, and this is where the huge twist in the film comes in. At least the twist from from those of us who have read the story and know the book, um, because we we have this we have this New Year's uh, celebration on Carmine Falcone's yacht. Uh, everybody's there. Which was also kind of a kind of a change because uh, we had we had Bruce Wayne very much in the thick of the of the party, and then we see Alberto uh, Falcone be shot by the actual holiday killer. Which in the book they make it very vague, and you don't know what happened. But you absolutely see the holiday killer is there. He shoots Alberto, and then he actually falls overboard and gets all chopped up by the by the prop on the on the yacht. So, so Joe, what did you what did you think of this uh, of how they changed this up here with Alberto? Well, the first thing is like you said, they, okay, they are making it very clear. <laughs> that yeah, there's the no point. doubt. They, there is no doubt he is dead. We are making it as clear as possible to you people. Do not think he is the killer like he is in the book. And I I loved it because with the way the book ends, it's – I don't want to say controversial, but it's kind of up for debate. We talked about how it's a little muddy. So they're, they're ending this in a certain way mm-hmm. that is going to make you think, okay, I have to watch part two now to learn what they're going to do. It's because how do you adapt a mystery where everyone knows the ending? The fun of a mystery is that we don't know what's going to happen. And that's what ending part one like they did accomplishes. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a great way to do it because you, you set up Alberto's backstory with his father 
and to then end it in such a devastating way it's just and let's be honest the minute uh selena yells out bruce in front of alberto we're kind of like oh well, i guess he's gonna die that it's kind of that trope where once someone finds out the identity of batman they're probably gonna die um and, and but to I, be honest with you, Joe, that didn't even didn't even hit me at first. When she said oh, Bruce, yeah. I was like, "Oh, you dummy! Why would you say his name like that?" Oh, and then, yeah, that's, yeah. and I liked that she said it because it it felt real. And yeah. I'm I'm watching the damn movie while we're doing this, and Selena's nose just disappeared. <laughs> 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 I can't. So the nose does disappear, but the nostrils don't. And I hate you for pointing it out. Yeah, you're never going to not see it now. <laughs> oh, I'm crying now. But yeah, so, and I I do love this scene because, again, that's, with a mystery, it's, it's a very hard thing to be faithful to the adaptation, or faithful to the comic, but still keep that mystery element alive. And I think this was a good way to do that going into part two. I agree. What about you, Matt? The uh, the change from making Alberto's death very definitive in the movie rather than vague in the book. What did you think? Um, I, I'm gonna agree with everything. Yeah, like I I I loved it. I remember when I heard her say Bruce, I was like, well, crap. Now how are we gonna <laughs> like? How are we gonna fix that? But I'm again, I'm glad she said it because then it's like. Cause it's kind of vague whether or not she knows who he is. And obviously he doesn't even know that she knows. And, um, but then when she, you know, she makes that connection, you're like, okay, there we are. That's established. And then you're like, well, crap. And now what are we going to do with Alberto? He's, he's got a bigger role to play. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to get shot. He gets shot. As soon as the fireworks goes off, bang, like, uh, he's bleeding, shot again off the rail, and okay, you know that's how it's supposed to happen. And then you see that prop, and you're like, oh no, oh no, and then just, just jump, and yeah, it's like, oh man, like now I was like, now we're a completely different world. Like everything is free game. Like now, give me part two. Like what's happening? Like who's who? Who are we really gonna pin this on? Like how are they really gonna frame this now? Like this just like completely altered everything. And it's it's perfect because like it's it's for it's for the people like you guys. And I mean, I guess me too because I have read the book. You know, uh, someone who's never read the book doesn't know anything about it and is just watching it because it's the new Batman. Like they don't, they don't have any idea. Like they don't, they don't care. They have no idea who. You know, they have suspicions that are plugged into the movie or whatever, but they have, they have no real idea. Where we're sitting here watching it, like, okay, well, this is how this is supposed to happen, or most likely going to happen, or whatever. And then they take that and they're like, okay, I see everything you got working in your head, mashed just completely. Like, nope, throw it out the window. Like, start from ground zero. This is, we're changing the ball, game, changing the rules. Yeah, and that makes me that, – oh, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say to that point too, it's such a hard thing because you know we're o- they're always going to have to appease the fans somehow. But mm-hmm. to like – to your point, this works so well, I would hope, for someone that's never read the book. 
because they have no idea to them this is just a fun movie and they're not comparing it to anything and i think that's what's important for sometimes for the fans to watch and learn that way like i think if we didn't ever read the book the movie probably works better and that's what i was going to ask with these films it's hard to say because i mean obviously these aren't getting as much attention as uh, a brand new live action batman movie would um uh, even though I, I from everything i've seen i think this these these two films are doing well um it i i do wonder how many people outside of of the the real fans of the book and things like that how many people that have have no experience with the long halloween watch have watched these because I, I do agree with you, Joe. I think this – if you've never read the book, this is probably like, oh, great. Wow, what's going on? Who's the killer? I mean you're you're actively wondering, whereas us that have read the book, we're like, okay, well, that's different. Where are they going now? So I wish I, wish I could get that perspective, but then again, I, I, I don't want a world where I haven't read The Long Halloween. So <laughs> – <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting um, perspective for sure. But as as Matt mentioned um, after the wrap up, because that is that is pretty much the wrap up of part one, the death of Alberto. We then get the we get the credits and we get a a post credit scene which I actually didn't know about until Joe told me. Do you well, remember that <laughs> the first time I watched it? I didn't even watch through the credits. I didn't know there was a post credit scene. Well, the credits are short. They're like two minutes. Like, like the, so the last scene of the film itself ends with like two and a half minutes left. So I'm like, there's no post credit scene. But I think I talked to Lauer I, prior to finishing the film. Mm-hmm. And he told me there was a post credit scene. Because I honestly don't think I would have even suspected one they zip through the credits. So like when this film is at, what is it? An hour and 25 minutes. Mm -hmm, The film itself is an hour and 23. Like there's only two minutes of credits. Well, yeah. And so as soon as the credits started, I was like, cause I, I believe the day this came out, I watched it. uh, I got up early that morning and watched the movie before work. So when the credits rolled, I was like, okay, I got to go. So I just turned the movie off as soon as the credits started. And then later that day, Joe was like, what did you think of the the, the post credit scene? And I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I pulled up YouTube at work and watched the post credit scene on my phone. Um, so, yeah, we, we get uh, we get the setup of it's there's they're at Alberto's funeral. Um Falcone ha- uh, requests Bruce's help with laundering money. And Bruce refuses, and then Falcone introduces an associate who uh, who kind of shakes Bruce's hand, and you see vines come out of her jacket and start to uh, to wrap around his hand. And then we go to black after you see Bruce's eyes turn green. So obviously, it's a setup for Poison Ivy in part two. So um, Matt, what did you think of the of the setup here? I. Like I, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit earlier, but uh, like that's I fine. think that's I think that's the perfect spot for you to end the part two because or part one because it's you know I think you go any further forward and you're 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 cutting off 
bad spot and obviously you can't go any um it can't cut off before any of that and not set up um it it was kind of, it, it was an it was another maybe they could have placed it like actually at the end of the movie instead of you know like at the end of the credits so people don't make rookie mistakes like you and not oh wow the <laughs> i mean come on we've been doing this post-credit thing since what 2007 2008 like you gotta watch the credits gotta gotta wait for it i don't care i don't care which i don't care which comic book company's name is on it like you gotta watch the yeah uh, well the credits. to your point you're you're right but in my defense i did have to go to work i was trying to get out the door so <laughs> All right, I will be I will be forgiven. But I <laughs> perfect perfect way to end it, and I think um, I think part two will do it will do it justice. Um, uh, just say that. And you haven't you haven't finished part two, correct? I I have not. But okay, uh, I I've seen an, I've seen enough to to justify my last statement. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, what about you, Joe? What did you think of the setup for part two there? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Matt. I, I think it might have worked well as the end of the film as opposed to a post-credit scene. And just to correct myself, so it was the film ends with four minutes left. The credits take two and a half minutes, and then the, the post-credit scene is a minute and a half. So at quick glance, to me, that's not a lot of runtime to even think about a post-credit scene. So I, I don't mm-hmm. blame you for, for not looking and having to go to work and all that. I'll, I'll be nice to you. I'll let Matt bust your chops. <laughs> Usually I'm the one busting your chops anyway. But um, <laughs> so I also, I'm going to be interested to see how the film flows when it is cut together as a deluxe version. If they're going to add stuff like they did for the death and return of Superman, or is it going to be just all the scenes spliced together nothing added? It's just is what it is. So well, these are, these are already longer than your standard um, yes. DC films. So it'll be, it will be interesting to see. Yeah. And I, um, but I did like the setup. I think it, it does work well as a, as a post-credit scene, if they weren't going to add it to the end, I think it, you know, it does what it needs to do. It teases the second part where the first one ends on a, a good conclusion slash cliffhanger mm-hmm. the the post credit scene as itself does that you know oh this is what's to come and i right. it almost works as more like a trailer type of or a tease which that's what a post credit scene is supposed to do so i i did enjoy it and it tells us we're going right into um valentine's day yeah, yeah, I I agree with with what you guys are saying. I once I actually saw the post credit scene, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a fun little setup uh, for the for the upcoming part two. And it's so strange we never get we never get movies like we never get to see the next part as soon as we have this. So it's 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 very exciting to get this big long story and just to in just like a two month span. So yeah, but that is, uh, that was our look at Batman, the long Halloween part one, before we wrap up, I do want to get, um, is there anything you guys that, that you wanted to touch on that we left out? Cause I mean, there's, we could, we could talk about this all day and still not cover everything. So, but, it, but are there any little parts that, that we missed that you want to bring up? 
Go ahead, Matt. Uh, I think I kind of touched on everything that like stood out big. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't have any further to add. Okay. What about you, Joe? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good too. The only thing that I I actually considered talking about was the fact that this is PG-13 and and part two is R. I I find that intriguing because I think these films have learned their audience. Like you were touching on how we don't know how many people are watching this that haven't read the stories I mean, or the comics or anything like that. I think the fact that they're getting very laxed with their ratings proves the point that they have their audience despite what the rating is. Mm-hmm. To me, I think they've learned, hey, we're selling the same amount of units, whether it's PG-13 or R. So just make the film and whatever it's rated, it is because it is odd that part one is PG 13 and part two is rated R. So obviously I would assume the deluxe will then be R. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if it's a combined movie, it would have to be. Yeah. And without getting into part two in that argument or um, with that discussion, I just, I find that very intriguing and I applaud them for that because they're not like going they don't feel the need to make it R just for making it an R sake. Obviously, if that's the case, then part one would have been an R also. So I, I applaud both ways. They're just making the film and whatever it does, it does. And I, I appreciate that from a, you know, from their perspective as creators, I, I like that for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And that is the rating on part two is something that we're definitely going to touch on when we cover the long Halloween part two in a, in an episode upcoming. But um, there, there's one, there's just a, a, one or two tiny little things I wanted to bring up that are, that we, that we didn't touch on going through the movie. Um, we talked, I talked about how Batman is clearly early in his career. He's not brand new, but he's, he's in that kind of year two area in uh in his career and i love that the movie touches on several times uh people just tell <laughs> just telling him you're not a very good detective are you and then he actually makes it a point to mention that he's going to be a better detective in the movie so i like that setup of their building batman's career i thought that was that was really fun as well as I just wanted to point out, um, and, and I should have said this during when we were talking about the voice cast, but Alastair Duncan was really, really good as Alfred. And if you've ever seen the uh, the Batman animated series, uh, he was the voice of Alfred in that series, and I've always thought he was great. So I just wanted to bring that up really quick. But um, other than that, um, that is our look back. Or, yeah, our look at the brand new Batman, The Long Halloween Part 1. Part 2 is now out. We're going to cover that soon. But, um, Matt, I'm going to start with you. I want to get some final thoughts on Part 1 and a Batarang rating out of 10. Um, I knew you were going to start with me. With this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, everything we've said, like, I, it's is it different from the book? Yes, absolutely. Uh, does it still work on its own? Absolutely. Um, there's uh, there's things that I wish that were still there that got included, but those are just like individual things. I don't I don't think there's anything that doesn't that doesn't work with the movie. Um, 
it's especially you know whenever you get to the end it leaves you such a good setup and wanting more and wanting to know whether you're whether you're a fan you know of the of the book of the series and you're familiar with it brand new it gives you plenty to look forward to which is you know in, in a part one especially in a in a movie like this like you're not you're not looking for everything to be all wrapped up nicely at the end of a part one you want to be stoked for part two to actually see how the actual like ending is um and it, it as a mystery setup like it's it's perfect um we got great um voice casts that all seem to work well together uh some new faces um some that we won't hear ever again um but have great swan songs um it's it's i'll give it a solid eight eight and a half batterings out of ten for me mm, all right and what about you joe so matt's gonna make it easy for me because i could basically just say i echo everything matt just said um <laughs> <laughs> uh so thank you for letting him go first because i i really do i agree with everything he said i think they could have essentially played this safe knowing that hey if people don't like part one they ain't buying part two so mm -hmm. they could have just said listen just do it as close to the comic as possible so people like this thing and then we can take our liberties with part two but they they threw us for a loop with part one enough to get us intrigued but also we're faithful that's that's a great balance for part one and i i applaud the way that they ended it i applaud the way that they adapted you know, one of the best Batman stories ever written. And it'll make it really fun to talk about part two. And it, this is like the year of long Halloween. And it's funny because Matt was the one that brought it up. How did we miss that? It's the 25th anniversary. It came out in 96. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about part one, part two, and then the 25th anniversary comes right after that. So good on us, right? That was, that was good. Planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I'm just going to uh, re-release our uh, episode with Lauer, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, it's I, I totally forgot about the Batarang uh, rating. I didn't even think about it. I. It's hard to grade this film without part two, and you know, assuming we haven't seen part two yet, I think this as a film by itself, I I think I'm right with Matt. Would you say eight and a half? Yeah. Yeah, I gotta go with eight and a half. I think that's a really good rating for this. Um, because it is a part one, I can't say it's my favorite Batman animated film. Uh, mm -hmm. but I, I think eight and a half is a really good rating for this. Well, make it the same score all the way around because I also give this <laughs> eight and a half out of 10. Um, yeah, so th just looking at the film overall, like you, like you said, Joe, um, it's, it's hard to look at it and score it as just one film because we know there's another part. But for me, yeah, I mean, you know how much I liked it just as soon as I finished watching it because it did, I was like, man, this could really contend to be my favorite animated Batman movie when we get part two. And we'll talk about that when, uh, when we do that episode. But so far as just this movie itself, um, yeah, it's it's a very very good ad adaptation, and it does a lot of things right. Uh, I really enjoy it. It's going to be one that I watch quite often. Um, but it, the only things uh, I I knock um, 
I knock about half a point off for the, for the moment I mentioned with the with the Chinese gang. It just cr- made me cringe. So um, I and then I knocked about a whole point off for the damn noses disappearing. But, so, <laughs> so other than that, yeah, I I really really enjoyed uh, Batman: The Long Halloween Part One. So I mean we're. We're uh, we're three peas in a pod here, eight and a half out of ten. I, I didn't expect that to happen. I'm I'm glad we kind of caught you on the fly there, Joe, because <laughs> that maybe that would have changed if you'd have had time to think about your your battering ratings. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I didn't see the nose disappear, if you didn't point that out to me, then it might have been a nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that is our review of Batman: The Long Halloween Part One. But before we go. We have, uh, we actually have another Apple podcast review. So I'm going to read that real quick. Uh, it is from QCA Mr. J. Wonder who that is. Um, and it says, Great new Bat Pod. The Fire Rises is a great new addition to the Bat Pod world. Eric and Joe speaking both educatedly and passionately about the world's greatest detective and his world. A must listen for anyone who calls himself a Batman fan. Well, that is uh, that's very sweet of you to say thank you, QCA Mr. J, uh, otherwise known as Mr. Jared Boots, who was on one of our episodes just a few weeks ago. So thank you for that review. That's uh, that's very nice, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, thank you very much, Jared. We appreciate that. And uh, and well, you're on this episode. We'll we'll count you in that too, Matt. You're definitely part of this podcast, and I, I appreciate you being on. Well, I appreciate it, Eric, and I appreciate the kind words in the review. I I agree with everything that they said. Um, you guys are doing a great job here, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, well, thank you very much. Um, I know you don't have a huge social media presence, but if anybody wants to find you, where where can they do that? I am nice and easy to find. Um, I'm only on Instagram, and it's simply Matt, M-A-T-T, Hewlin, H-U-L-E-N, all one word. Nice. Joe, what about yourself? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as jforn11 and Facebook as Joe Forno. Um, Matt, uh, you know, it, it was fun finally getting to talk to you and I, I enjoyed uh, the other, you know, episodes that you were on. So it was, it was fun to finally get to chat with you on here, especially with, you know, this movie being like it is. And hopefully we can all discuss part two together too. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. It was nice to finally like appear, not in the room, but in the room with you, Joe. Um, after listening <laughs> to you and Eric like banter across <laughs> this podcast and others for over a year now, so it's nice to actually uh, talk directly to you a little bit. You know, I did. I completely forgot to mention that. Yeah, this is the first time that Matt and Joe have spoken, so I feel a little bit like uh, Lex Luthor from BVS right now. I just, <laughs> I like getting people together. <laughs> so. All right, but if you would like to, uh, if you'd like to follow the show, once again, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TFR Pod. If you'd like to follow me personally. Um, that's Instagram, Vero, and Twitter at mecarter89. That's mecarter89. And uh, once again, if you would take a moment out of your day to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we greatly appreciate it. That helps people find the show. The more positive reviews we have, the more exposure we have. And uh, also, 
if you again if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments or questions anything like that you can send us an email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com we also have a brand new presence on t public we have our logo is up there for for sale now on on t-shirts mugs stickers anything you can really imagine so just go to t public and search tfr bat pod but that is where we're going to wrap it up for today so thank you for joining us for our look at batman the long halloween part one and we'll see you next time Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. Gilda, is that you? Gilda! She looks like a Gilda. Looking for this. <laughs> Relax, lollipop. Police issue. Where's my wife? She's just where I left her. Last minute shopping. Spoiler alert. It sucks. What do you want? Oh, I thought I was playing Santa Claus. Oh, all right. I want a fire engine and a football and to deliver a message. Put the gun down and we'll talk. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,